Well, hello there. My name is H.W. Thank you so much for listening to the Tone Jiggy Podcast, episode 58. Wowie, episode 58. I got my coffee. I'm posting up at my little breakfast nook. A breakfast nook is an area uh, sort of adjacent to the kitchen uh, where one might eat, but uh, not really where they would host formal company. Although I have at times hosted company that I wouldn't call informal at this breakfast nook. But it's where my family and I eat most of the time. We use the dining room mostly on, uh, you know, holidays, board game nights. Board game nights, for those of you who don't know, is something that are is important to society. I'm going to get to the point of this podcast in a minute. But you know what I've noticed about board game nights? When I was single... And when I was like younger, and even when I was dating my wife and, you know, we were college age and, you know, we'd go to these parties and it'd kind of be like board game night parties. But it really, the board games were just like, they were just an excuse to be around people. You know, you might play like Pictionary, but you really only played after a couple drinks and it was funny. And then people started pairing up and it was really a place to meet girls. You know what I'm saying? That's really what board game, men never want to play, but men, no, look, I've gone to a couple like all dude board game events. We either played Risk or these guys. And let me tell you, the only time I went was with my roommate who worked at Google and it was his buddy who worked at Yahoo and his buddy who worked at Norton. Um, Point being, this was a crowd of nerds. I mean, this was not like normal guys. These were nerds, nerds, nerds who like... We're much more familiar with board games than, say, car engines, okay? Look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I like nerds, okay? But their knowledge of Star Wars was only surpassed by their knowledge of, uh, you know, uh, CSS and HTML. I mean, you know what I'm saying? These type of dudes. But when you get older, uh, and you like you know you're you're married and stuff, and you get you start like dating other couples, like you know you start like looking for other couples to like do like you know these sort of like hangouts with, and you really start hanging out because you're like kind of trying to see do you parents similar, are your do your kids get along? That way you can just send them downstairs and know that no one's killing each other. You know what I'm saying? And then you're sort of like looking like do the wives like each other? Okay, yeah. Do the husbands like each other? And then. Is the cross-matching, like, compatible? Like, do I like the wife? Does my wife like the husband? Uh, no, this isn't going to, like, a, a, a you know, a, a, a keychain party or anything. Uh, no, but what I'm saying is, like, and there's certain levels. Like, if there's really high compatibility among the wives, that might make up for, like, relatively low compatibility among the husbands. But, you know, you just go with it. Like, my wife's best friend forever was this dude. And... He was one of the best dudes. He still is. He's still my good friend. Like, um, his name's Billy, and he's awesome, man. Like, I would, he's one of the most loyal people. I really do consider him to be one of my my best friends. Like, if I needed anything, like, Billy would help me out. I mean, he's so, he's loving, he's genuine. I would trust him with my children. But I never, but we have almost nothing in common. Like, we have nothing in common. And so I I often just look at Billy and I'm like, I don't even know that we'd be friends if our wives weren't friends. Like he's total, like all the great things I just said about him, every redeeming quality in him, I admire, I respect, I like him, he's funny. But like, 
the dude is like, he enjoys cars and he's a firefighter and he's like super into like, I don't know, hiking and like working out. And I'm like really into guitars. And I'm, I mean, safe to say, he does a good Barry Manilow impression, or a, yeah, Barry Manilow impression. But, um, no, I mean, no, he's not like into music. You know, it's not like we get together and could talk about amps or something. So it's not like this, but like, we've been friends so long, we genuinely have a friendship on, on the things that we relate to now. And now I don't even think about it. I get together with him. And I, I don't try to go, hey, look at this new amp I bought. We just start joking about stuff, right? Because there's a genuine friendship there. But, you know, when you get to the point where you're like, you're kind of looking for other families and other couples to hang out with. You want the kids to get along, the wives to get along, the husbands to get along. The board game actually becomes the thing you get together to do. And it becomes one of the things like, do you enjoy, what do you enjoy doing with these people? Because there's some people you can enjoy, you know, that it's like, hey, oh, that's the crowd we get together when there's a UFC fight on. And we go over to their place and we watch the UFC fight. There's another crowd that's like, you, want, you guys just want to come over? You just come over. We'll make some dinner. And they come over and we hang out. And then, you know, it's usually like, you want to do something? You want to play a game? Kids are downstairs. We're doing video games. You, want to, you guys want to play a game? What game do you want to play? You know, and so it becomes important like that you know and are kind of at least semi-well-versed in these games. And then you notice that like, eh, it's Wednesday night. We got to put a bunch of kids in school tomorrow. No one's really drinking anymore, you know? No one's, no one's, no one's drinking. No one's there to hook up. We're all already married. And so all of a sudden there's this, this, this increasing amount of importance placed on the board game. And I'll tell you, I can't find anyone to play Risk with me. It's the best board game there ever was. And nobody seems to want to play it. So... You know, I just, I feel like, you know, uh, what do they say? You know, pearls uh, uh, among swine. Um, I just feel like I'm surrounded by people who don't appreciate a six-hour risk game. Because those are the games that I most enjoy. The deep, deep strategy games. Oh, I love it. I love the deep strategy games. I love Monopoly. Oh, I love Monopoly. I love risk when you fix the trade-ins at, at 5, 10, and 15 people. So the trade-ins don't escalate. So the game never snowballs. So when you win at risk, it was like you just fought a world war. You took every, you took every country, every continent. You earned it. You felt it. You remember the slaughter at Kamchatka. You remember the defense of Yakutsk. You were there when the die were on your side. And through insurmountable odds, you expanded out of Australia through Siam. And you began country by country to assert a foothold into Asia that stretched into Europe until finally the world was conquered on the borders of Iceland and North America, on the borders 
on the transatlantic crossing between Brazil and West Africa. That's where not just the game, but the world was decided. Well, the world according to the Europeans in 1812, because that's who drew the risk map. And it says so. It says so in the uh, manual. Anyway, all that to say this. Um, if you ever come to Nashville and you really want to play Risk, maybe we can play sometime. Okay, on to the next uh, thing and what I really want to talk about. You saw the title of this episode. Um, it's called, apparently, Tone Junkie Makes the Best Profiles Now. Apparently, Tone Junkie makes the best profiles now. And this is an interesting thing. I wanted to address this topic, um, and I'm going to tell you what I've experienced and why I'm saying that. Now, you might be thinking, HW, come on. You, you don't say about yourself that what you're making is the best. Nah, that's not what I'm trying to say. You don't say that, uh, like, you know, what does that mean? Like, the stuff you made before isn't good, and now the stuff now is even better, and you know, open up your PayPal accounts, guys. If you liked what I made before, check out the new Tone Junkie profiles. New and improved. Now with OxyClean. As seen on TV. No. What I'm saying is... It's hot coffee this morning. Hot. And it's just black. Side note, I've been really cheating on keto. I haven't had a good 60 days, a 60 day run of keto, like without cheating, since March. And we're in July. So later today, I'm going to this new grill, this new place near my house called the Grilled Cheesery because YOLO. They have grilled cheese and milkshakes, like every type of grilled cheese you can imagine and milkshakes. And I'm going with, uh, with, uh, with Nate and with Mike Payne and, uh, and with Jordan. And anyway, uh, we're all going, and uh, I got to experience this place because tomorrow is it. Tomorrow's the end. Tom I'm sorry. Tomorrow's the beginning. Tomorrow, I'm back on keto. We're gonna go at we're gonna go at least sixty days, no cheats. We're probably gonna stretch for ninety or hundred days. Um, and I gotta just do this. I I'm my lowest was nine pounds ago, meaning I'm nine pounds up from my lowest. So this is, you know, I had lost 30 pounds. Now I've only lost 21. Now, it's la I'm not worried about it's nine pounds. I, I really believe I'll get back because at times I've yo-yoed up and down now and I've gone up and down. And I've actually hit my lowest again several times while not being strict on keto. So it seems that, you know, I, this, this nine pounds I can get back off relatively quickly. I'm hoping to have that nine pounds off. Uh, when I go hard on keto, like if I go hard on keto and I do a little exercise, I bet I could have that nine pounds off in like 10 or 11 days. Like it's almost a pound a day at first. The first 10 pounds usually goes like a pound a day. And you know, you stop eating carbs, it's the water that comes off. But hey, whenever people are on a diet and then other people chime in and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's water weight. I'm always like, yo, what's, why, why do you got to be that guy? Why do you got to be that guy? Hey, I just lost 10 pounds. Oh, you know, it's supposed to be water weight. It's like, whoa, hang on. What's up, man? Did I say, hey, I just lost 10 pounds of pure body fat. Take my measurements. No, I just said 10 pounds. I didn't say what the composition was. You're over here splitting hairs. Like, 
How many of us are just like, oh yeah, I got 30 pounds I want to lose, but it's only 22 pounds of fat. No, man. When you are eating carbohydrates and salt, you get puffy. You get, you are like kind of bloated from the stuff you're eating. Like you are not paying attention to stuff that makes you, that like makes you inflamed. Um, that's all weight, man. You're just trying to take, you just look, you're trying to just look better with your shirt off. I don't care if that's, I don't care if it's water or fat or, you know, like, like, I don't care if it's just, if, if ice cream starts melting out of my pores, I legit don't care. I'm just trying to, I want everything to stay still when I brush my teeth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just, you know, this is an old Kevin James quote. I want everything to stay still when I brush my teeth. I'm trying to not get winded when I just jog to the door. You know, this is old Kevin James too. I go, you, I open the door and a guy goes, uh, uh, hey, hey man, what are you doing? Oh, hey, nothing. Hey, did you just work out? No. Well, you, you look a little sweaty. Like you, you a little winded? No. I mean, I guess. Were you lifting something? No. I mean, I buttered some toast like an hour ago, but no, I'm just, I'm just resting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know? Anyway. Um, yeah, don't be that guy who like calls it out, you know? Well, it's probably mostly water. It's like, well, nobody asked you. Seriously, nobody asked. We're not breaking. When were we get? I mean, what else do we get so technical about? I don't know. Hey, my son grew three inches. Well, you know, they say a lot of that's posture. He has better posture now, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, okay, anyway, let's get to the point. Um, we're now 14 minutes in, and I promise by minute 15, we're going to hit the point of this podcast. Okay, the point is... Um, no, this isn't a ploy to get people more interested in Tone Jerky products. I actually this morning received uh, message number five, and that said almost the exact same thing. It basically, in a nutshell, said, HW, I loved XY pack. It's usually one of the more recent ones because they're coming. You know, it's it's whatever pack I just released, right? I got one three weeks ago. Was that a pack? I got one two weeks ago. Was that pack? I got one today. This is now the fifth one that's come in. And so I figure if five people are messaging me, maybe 25 or 50 people are experiencing the same thing. Um, the message is always something like this. HW, I got this pack. Hey, man, I wanted to reach out and tell you I feel like the the latest packs, like at some point you turned a corner and your packs are consistently the best they've ever been and some of the best that's, that are out there from anybody. And it's this pack, it's this pack. I'm hearing people say, it's the Stu G pack. Since the Stu G pack, this. I'm hearing people say, the Dirty Shirley pack is the best rock pack anybody's found, right? I'm hearing people go, oh my gosh, the Tremlux. The 63 Tremlocks. I'm hearing people say the Matchless Spitfire is the best Matchless that Tone Junkies ever put out. I've heard people say, oh my gosh, the M Abbey like I di is like the best AC style. I, look, me as a guy 
who makes profiles and let's face it, markets them to people. I put together videos, I put together posts, pictures that are, are trying to make, I look at it like this, I'm trying to make you aware and I'm trying to document what I'm doing and make you aware. I never try to convince. I don't believe in convincing. To me, marketing is about awareness. It's about um, uh, education and entertainment. Sales is about convincing. And and really not even. Bad sales is about convincing. The best salesmen never convince. They never convince. They only listen to problems, prescribe solutions, and they listen to problems. And if, if they don't have the right prescription, they, they get out of there because they understand time is money and they're out of there. So that's why when people are like, hey, I'm waiting for you to do, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the death metal gent pack. When are we going to see that from Tone Junkie? I'm like, never. Straight up, never. Because I don't, I, I don't do that. I don't know anything about that. That's not the prescription I got. That's the wrong sickness. You got a disease, you got to go see another doctor. But people are saying this, and the next question has been always in all these messages, what are you doing differently? What's changed? And I thought this would be fun to address because there has been a plethora um, of ideas and things thrown out there over the years that I've seen on the forums and everything about what makes profiles good. People have said, I've even heard this say, someone said, yeah, Michael Britt, he's got the golden signal chain. I know what Michael Britt's signal chain is, and me and him have compared notes several times. I, Michael has said it too. It's not like a secret or whatever. I mean, you know, what is he, the only one to use those mics, those cables, those things? It doesn't make sense, right? There's not some some amalgamation of gear that somehow just agrees with the Kemper, there, right? If the Kemper captures what it hears or doesn't, it shouldn't matter, right? I've had people love packs I, where I don't even know if I advertise this, but there was one, there's one amp out there. I only used a Royer 121 because I tried this and that and this, and this amp had such a unique voice. It's a space tone amp. It's a space tone uh, pack, the spacey tone. That amp had such a unique sort of voicing, I could not get a dynamic microphone to really sound great on it. And I kept fighting the highs and everything, and finally I muted the dynamic microphone, and I went, there it is. The problem was it, the fat head was adding low end that wasn't there via proximity the proximity effect is something that happens when you have ribbon mics close to the cone. Via proximity effect and and the sort of push of a dynamic microphone. It was a 57 I was using. I tried a 906. I quit after that using the dynamics on that amp. I couldn't get the dynamic thing to stop adding a certain quality that I didn't really feel like was there in the amp. It was accentuating, you know, that the sort of 2K range. Uh, that a 57 does, you know, it accentuated that. And I felt like this, it's changing the sound of the amp too much. It's not what I feel like this amp sounds like. I played with the positioning. I played with everything. 
the fat head was adding them out of low end and I was like, this doesn't sound like, between the 2K push and that low end thump, I was like, it doesn't sound like this little amp anymore. So I went and got a Royer and a, and a 57. Same problem with the 57. Tried different things, tried moving them back. Finally, I I just wanted to get the 121 dialed in. I switched to the 121. Wanted to get that dialed in. I thought it sounded beautiful. And I went, here we go. Here's a ribbon, pulled back from the speaker a little more than I do normally to, to eliminate proximity. Um, and that proximity effect though, I just wanna say for a minute, is actually a very useful technique if you're trying to, in my opinion, replicate the sound of an amp in a room, because, um, well, we'll get into that later. I put this Royer on the cone, and I went, there we go, that's beautiful. It was colored, it had a coloration from the Royer, but the Royer didn't have too much bass, it had a nice high-end soft roll-off, and the amp is like Tweedy, in quality, so it didn't have these super hi-fi highs. It had like a lo-fi thing going. And so that pack is one of the few I've done with just one mic. It's just a Royer 121. And that was only by wrestling with the amps, wrestling with the mics, that I arrived at that conclusion. I don't know if people hear that in that pack. I don't know. But other than that, I have a very consistent approach to making amps. But I do want to talk about some of the things that have changed. And I do think there might be some validity to where these guys are noticing some change. Because I, I did change some things. And some of it I think is me. My ear has changed. My, my ear for tone has changed. I'm appreciating different things. And I'm getting a little more eclectic with what I want out of amplifiers. And I think instead of trying to get amplifiers to do the thing I like amplifiers to do, like instead of me trying to get them to, to be, this is how HW would use this. This is how so-and-so would use this. I'm actually kind of taking the amp for what it is and saying, what's this amp really good at? And how are people going to use this? I'm giving a little more consideration to how a rock guy might really use this. You know, like, if you're the guy that goes on the road with, um, you know, I don't know, Scott Stapp. If you're that guy, like, you're playing 90s rock. Like, what are you looking for in a, in a, in a dirty, surly amp? You know, what are you looking for? I'm about to do a, a Marshall, like a um, like visit, like something like the JVM. What what are guys looking for in that amp rather than what would I use it for? And that's a little bit different of an approach. And sometimes I'm pulling out different guitars now. But now here's what the messages say. They always say, "What did you change?" I think it's consistent. Okay, this one from was from Alex, and this is why I'm making this this podcast today because this guy Alex from Germany, I, I have noticed he's been a Tone J supporter for a long, 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 long time. Like. I believe he may have first started using Tone Jiggy profiles way back on like pack one or the Benson pack. So we're talking about the first two packs I ever put out. And he's a fan of the Stu G stuff and we conversed a bit about, you know, those tones. And we've just talked about amps, you know, through through the last couple of years. And um, when he messaged me this morning is when I thought, I got to address this and I think there might be some validity to it because I know this guy... He said some things to me that make me think he has a good ear, that he's 
you know, uh, well, uh, well versed in amps, you know, and what he's liked things and, and stuff and just amps he's been interested in. I know he's got sort of a boutique, um, uh, uh, palette. And so I'm, I'm going, okay, what's the validity here? Let's talk about some of the things that might have changed over time. Let's talk about what's consistent. I have consistently used, well, let me back up for one minute. I want to say this. I'm not sure that I am 100% on the story of Tone Jungi profiles are different than they were a long time ago. And I'm going to tell you why that's my perspective. But first, I want to tell you about what's consistent through the packs. I have largely used the same microphones and the same pre's since pack one. Now, at times, I switch up the pre's, but I'm using the same kind of selection. I've always used either Neve clones or APIs, API 500s, you know, 512Cs. Now, I've used different Neve clones. I mean, it's the same make and model, but I've used actually a different unit from the beginning to now. Because one of the big changes that happened was I switched locations. And when I switched locations was about six months ago. And it's funny that one of these messages said to me, I noticed about six months ago that your profiles got better sounding. Okay, well, I did change locations. I built an amp booth in my home and I turned my basement, uh, which is all built out. I mean, it's called a basement, but it's all finished area. It's, you know, my basement is like... Um, like a large living room with um, uh, like there's kind of another little room they call a workout room. And then uh, I don't use it as a workout room. I use it as a podcast studio. Then there's a bedroom and a bathroom down there. The bedroom is my office where you see a lot of Tone Junkie videos being shot and you see my desk and some videos and where I'm sitting. And then there's a large living room down there too and a bathroom. I always thought about making the bathroom like the amp booth, but I just thought, well, you know, I, I don't want to walk upstairs to go to the bathroom all the time. Anyway, there's a bathroom down there. My kids play video games down there a lot. So right now it's sort of like that whole floor of the house. My wife almost never goes down there. Um, that whole floor of the house is just filled with amps. It looks like a guitar store, honestly, right now. Because right now, you know what's in my amp room? I have two Fenders from 1962, one Fender from 1963. I have the LDW amp, the, the divided by 13 LDW. I have a Buddha head. I have Stoogie's Park AC30 Marshall, his, his Marshall amp, his Mesa Boogie, and his 412 cabinet. I've got a Morgan a, a Dual 20. I've got a Fender Baseman hand-wired clone. I've got a Marshall Dirty Shirley. I've got a Fender Vibra. I have so many amps right now. And they're either amps that I've already profiled and I just haven't gotten around to selling. But most of them I need to shoot IRs of the cabs for the Helix guys. So that's why I'm hanging on some of them. And some of them I just need to sell, like the Buddha and stuff. I'm done with that. Anyway, uh, but there's so many guitars. And then you get like, like Suze will bring over three guitars or like Mike, you know, Mike Payne will bring over a bunch of stuff. And it's just like, there's not, we don't even have room for this. Like what, what are we doing? We're drowning in amazing gear. This is a humble brag. Right now someone's like going to comment, cool flex, bro, or weird flex, bro. Um, but what's changed? So I moved about six months ago from my old studio, which was which was a studio you'll notice in the profiles that I called Church House. 
And that was the studio that belongs to my buddy Chris that we use to make um, our church records and that he does mixing and stuff out of. He does work for Full Circle, it's the Seth Mosley company, and um, you know a bunch of other artists. He does work you know under his own name, Six Arrows. And I called it Church House because that studio is built into a house that was on the church's property. The church bought this property in this big house, built a big church, and we affectionately call that house the Church House. It's now where the church offices are, and they built a studio in there. And that's where I started making profiles. And when I walked in, his gear is just what I was using. He had a studio full of stuff. He had all sorts of mics. He had all sorts of pre's. And I would pay him to go in there and use that stuff. Now, let's talk about for a minute what that means for the workflow and everything. I really learned how to use his stuff well. And so when I wanted to um, sort of bring, be able to do profiles here in my home and build a studio here at home. Oh, here's the other thing I didn't tell you. Downstairs in my basement, there are two rooms in addition to those rooms I described that are unfinished. One is just a storage area where we keep random stuff. I keep guitar cases. We keep our winter clothes, uh, you know, like, you know, boots and stuff, uh, our, you know, our uh, Christmas decorations, yada, yada. The other was a room that was sort of like a utility closet, but it was large. It was probably 15, not 15 feet. It was, no, no, that's right. It was probably 10 feet wide and like 15 feet long. It was enormous, an enormous room. It was 10 feet wide at the end. It was narrower at one side. And so I um, decided, well, this is wasted space. And it, it's there because it butts up to the part of the foundation and they couldn't finish it anyway. So it's this enormous room. And the only thing in there is like a, a, a an HVAC unit. So I built a room and a room in there. I built a booth that I'll have to show you sometime. I've only been willing, I just want to make it look a little prettier. It's totally functional. I've just been willing to... Uh, make the outside look a little bit better. But I framed the walls. I put up everything. I did all moving blankets, insulation, just everything. There's a door in there. I mean, and that is now in there. What I built is basically an eight by five little room in a room that I record the amps in or I profile the amps in. And my goal was I wanted to be able to put a Plexion 10 and profile it in the middle of the night with my kids sleeping on the top floor. And I can do that. I can do that now. It works. And one of the things, so what's been consistent, the actual signal chain has not changed. I've been using Kemper's, um, Neve clones or API 500s and Mostly, 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 mostly Fathead microphone, Fathead 2, Cascade Fathead 2 microphones, and, and 57s. Now, here's what's changed from the, now, when I, so when I built this thing out, I wanted to create the exact same signal chain. So what did I do? I went out and got identical Neve clones. I went out and got identical APIs. So... There shouldn't be a difference there. Here's two things that I, I noticed differently, though, when I moved into my new space. One, I bought a lot more microphones. Why? Not for the profiling. 
I bought more microphones because I wanted to start shooting IRs. And, I, and, I, and that's what I was going to make the variety of IRs with. It was going to be this one speaker with multiple microphones. Now, when I did that, I also started appreciating a lot of the different qualities of these microphones. And still, the Fathead 57 is my go-to, and it's my favorite. But like in the case of that Spacey Tone amp, I started really appreciating the Royer 121 for what it is. If I was going to have one mic by itself, I'd choose the 906, the Sennheiser 906. One mic by itself, I'm choosing the 906 every time. One ribbon mic by itself, I'm choosing the 121. I'm not choosing a fathead. The fathead is great at, at what it does, but it's fat in the low end. It's fat in the low mids, and it doesn't have an extended high end. It stops at like 10K or so. You can't capture a guitar, stop it at 10K. That's why you need that SM57 there to give you the high end. And to me, that pairing sounds like what a lot of us are used to recorded guitar sounding like. Sounding like. A 121 and a 57, for some reason, are my favorite for IRs. I think it just sounds beautiful with IRs. I don't know why that is. It just sounds great. And those are the ones I put in the Helix and the HX Stomp presets when they come with IRs. And those are some of the IRs I put out there. I also make them with single microphones. You can get that same speaker with just a 57, just a 121. You can pair them together. You can get it with a 906. You can do it. They have different flavors. And sometimes I like different flavors. But I dig that 121-57 sound. Um, and I dig the Fathead 57 sound. But when I started playing with the IRs and really experimenting with those, I started appreciating getting to know all those microphones. Um, and I started uh, using some other mics. I have a 414, a, a CK414, AKG414. Um, and that's a beautiful sound, uh, 414. That's a beautiful sounding microphone, really beautiful sounding microphone. I haven't used it much with the Kemper, but with the IRs, I've done a little bit. What is interesting to me is that I have at times switched out a 57 for a 906. I've actually done that quite often. And if you look closely in the notes, you'll note that. You'll also notice that I started calling it TJ Studios in the profiles. Now, I actually think the first couple packs that I did in my house, I think I still labeled them Church House. And that was a mistake on my part. It's just because I, I wasn't used to changing that parameter because it never changed. I was always in the church house studio. But I ended up, um, uh, I might have mislabeled a couple of those early, early packs. But basically everything this year has been released there. The Stoogy stuff was done in the old studio. That's why it's funny that people say the Stoogy stuff onward sounds different. The Stoogy stuff might sound different. And I get that because Stu sets his amps up. His tone is different than a tone I probably would have got with those same amps. Just a little. Like I appreciate his tone, but when he really dials the stuff in, I get it. And 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 here's the other thing. With the Stu G stuff, we're using his guitars to dial it in. I don't I didn't get out my guitars and go dial it in for this. No, I went, this is your sound, Stu. And and now luckily, and, and I wasn't concerned because Stu is using a plethora of guitars, so he's Stu's always going for sort of a middle ground between all his guitars. So I know that they're going to come out where if you use a Les Paul, well, he also uses a Les Paul. If you use a Strat, well, he's also using his Strat. So you're going to get tones that he's familiar with with those guitars. But all the Stu stuff was done in the old studio. 
So a couple things I want to say about, so that's what was consistent. I've kept the signal chain consistent. I've also, where I adjust the profiles, see, I would shoot the profiles. They would sound good to me. I lay, I put them down because I can't do it all in one sitting. It's too much ear fatigue. Things give you ear fatigue. Um, you just can't do too much in a day. And so I have to put these profiles down and then I need to come back to them and I need to listen to them in my environment that I'm most used to hearing profiles. I play and sit and listen to the guitar in a position that I never change. I sit in my room with the chair in a certain position. It's pulled back about two feet from my desk with my mon with my cab facing a certain direction, not directly at me, but sort of like it almost faces so that the direction, if you drew a straight line from the speaker, imagine it like a flashlight, it would come, the flashlight beam would come behind me out of the FRFR and it would graze like my back, but it would graze like kind of the side of me and my back. So I'm turned at like a 45 degree angle. Is that right? Yeah, I'm I'm at like a 45 degree angle to the FRFR. It's it's in the front. It's it's in the front and the right of me, so that it would be facing me at a 45 degree angle, and then it's shifted just slightly, so that if the, if the beam were a flashlight coming out of the center of the cone, it wouldn't hit me directly. It would go it would go just past me, but the outer part of the beam would just graze the back of me. This is the position that I know. This is the position that I then play all of my old profiles. I, I go back and I play the Cerbella pack. I play the Benson pack. I play the Matchless Chieftain pack. These are three packs I play almost every time. I listen to those packs with the guitar. I use the neck pickup of my Sir Strat and my JM Pro. I play the neck pickup. I play the middle position or the two position, I'm sorry, the four position of my Strat. I play the bridge of both those guitars. I re-familiarize my ears because the context of your ears is so important. This is the most underrated thing I've learned in the two years. You get good at doing things if you do them consistently for two years. I've been making profiles consistently for two years. And now that I'm doing this full time, every day I go downstairs and I do the same things. I play these profiles. I examine them. I look at amps. I play amps. I research amps. I make videos. I do this stuff. This is all I do now. This is all I do. In that sense, I understand why these why something could have gotten better. Because it was about six months ago, I really started taking a lot more time doing all of this. Not just the profiling. I've always done the profiling the same. But I, I, am I am studying these. I am a student of these amps when they come in here. I play them a lot now. I also play the amps before I profile them now with all my guitars. <clears throat> Excuse me. Every guitar gets played through these amps now. I And I think that could have some effect, but I don't play them because I think that somehow is going to help me get to know them. I play them because I flippin' love amps. 
Do you know how much joy I get out of a 1962 Princeton sitting in there, closing my eyes, playing it on Goldie, especially Goldie and me have this relationship. Oh, because when I play Goldie, I know that the part, the stamped parts on Goldie are like the old ones. I know that the wood and the nitro and all this stuff is, they select it just like the old ones. I feel like I'm playing a, a little bit of history. Someone felt a neck like this. Someone heard a pickup, a hand-wired set like this. It's hand-wired. In some ways, no one's ever heard this tone. And yet so many people have heard this tone. And then I play that amp and I turn on something like in the, in the in those brown face amps, the harmonic tremolo that are in there. And I go, oh, oh this, ah, oh, you hit a chord, you, you play this position on a guitar and it just, it's like a little bit of a time machine. I can't go back and meet Leo. Listen to this. I cannot go back and meet Leo Fender but can you imagine for a second closing your eyes and seeing through his eyes in that shop, in what's now the old G&L shop? Can you imagine seeing what's in there and seeing him turn on an amp and play it and mess with it and do this and do that and do all these things? Can you imagine that? Okay, now listen, you can't do that. But what you can do is sit with a guitar that is built painstakingly to be in many ways just like the ones he built on, on many of the same pieces of equipment as the ones he built that's hand-wired on the same machines as the ones they built. Those machines, if you look at the top, would say 1958 on the very first inventory the company did. 1958, 1960, 1962, 1960, every two years, right? that forensically you could match the bridge of a stamped custom shop with that. I can hold that guitar and I can play it and I can go through that circuit that was made then that could have been one he played in the shop before it shipped out. That could have been one that somebody played at the shop. It could have had the prototypes. He still had all the prototypes. How do I know this 62 amp didn't get plugged? He didn't plug in the Strat that would have become SRV's first wife. How do I know he didn't plug in the Strat that would have become, uh, you know, uh, 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 Jimmy Vaughn's Strat? How do I know he didn't plug in the one that would have been Clapton's Blackie? How do I know? How do I know he didn't plug in the very first Stratocaster? How do I know he didn't plug in the very first Broadcaster? The very first... Uh, um, Snakehead Tele Proto. How do I know? I don't know. How do I know that someone didn't go in there that day and play that amp? How do I know Leo didn't go, oh, this one, this one's special. Let me look inside here for a minute and looked at it. I went, oh, the tolerance on these capacitors here is a little, it's, it's out. It's actually a little higher or lower. In I like what it does to this tone. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to use that in the future. How do I know that? 
I don't know that. I can't close my eyes and see what he saw, but I can close my eyes and maybe I can hear what he heard. Think about this for a second. Think about this. Everything in this universe, it's, it's movement of an electron. That's energy, okay? It's a movement of an electron around a neutron, right? There's neutrons, there's protons attached to the neutrons that are in the middle that, that gives things its, its uh, elemental composition and the number of electrons that come around it determine its uh, plus, minus, its uh, ionization, right? That was some high school chemistry for you right there. These electrons are moving, right? This is what we experience. Light is two things. It's waves and it's photons, right? Light behaves as waves and then there's these things, photons. So it's unique. The sound is just vibration. Sound is just vibration. I want you to realize something. When you see lightning, how do you know if it's close to you or not? You listen for how long the thunder takes afterwards, right? The other day was 4th of July here, and I had a water slide outside. We always get a big water slide, and um, when I was growing up, I, my we didn't have the situation where we could have a lot of parties and have people over and stuff. Wow, holy cow, I just connected with something emotionally that like like really kind of showed me why I am the way I am. Anyway, um, <laughs> listen. What is it that when I start talking about amps, like, like when I get really like into amps and like really like kind of I connect with amps, I start like getting, I start like connecting with this part of myself deep on the inside. Like, why am I the way I am? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Okay, I'm going to put that away for a minute. I want to focus on these amp things. I had this big water slide outside. And one of the things is my wife and I, for some reason, she had the kind of house growing up that everyone came to. It was like a center of the community. And it was a center for our community, for our church. My wife and I knew each other. We met each other in fifth grade. We went to church together. Our mothers were friends. And um, I chased her around for a number of years before she, you know, finally just gave in. We had this big water slide. We had all these people over there. Oh, there was like 50 people here. It was so crowded. It was so good. There was like 50 people here for 4th of July. Hey, Ollie. I'm right here. I'm doing a podcast. Do you want to grab some Pop-Tarts and I'm going to finish this up? Yeah, you're still safe. No, you're not. You're fine. Mom said you could have Pop-Tarts. Yeah. You can play video games, but you got to get your Pop-Tart yourself. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, good. You're good. Let me finish this up and then, and then I don't know, we'll, I'll get you something. So here's the thing. That was, my, that was my son. He was gonna, he's going to... They, they just came up here. I'm not going to edit that out. No, no, I'm just doing my podcast. Yeah, you can ignore me. I'm not talking to you. It, it, it. Hey, Ollie, I'm going to go to the porch for a minute. Is that cool? Hey, Oliver. What? I'm going to go to the porch for a minute. Is that cool? Yeah. 
Okay, if Leo comes up and he doesn't know where I am, can you tell him I'm on the porch? Yeah. Yeah. You could tell him he can have a pop tart too. But can you do me a favor? Can you guys get it out of the pantry? Okay, if you're not hungry, that's cool. Okay, that's that's a problem I'm going to let you handle. Six, that's a six-year-old problem. That's a, that's a problem six-year-olds know how to handle. You can. There's a lot of solutions. You could pause the game and open your own Pop-Tart, right? Right? Or you could wait till you die, then open it. You got all sorts of choices. Well, three lives is still a lot. And in Mario, you can get more turns. Plus, you have unlimited continues. That's a good pro. You know, I think you know how to. I think you have the capabilities and the tools to solve that problem. I don't know if that's good parenting or not, but I just tell my kids that's a problem you can handle. That's a that's a. As long as I tell my son, that's a six year old. Yeah, that's a six year old problem. That's a problem that six year olds know how to do. You know, and I guess that's good. Oh man. Should have been porching it all morning. This was a good porch morning. This would have been a good uh, good porch episode. Anyway, okay. Where was I? I can hear what he heard. Listen, it's vibration, man. It's vibration. How do you know lightning is far away, right? I said this. Lightning strikes. We're at 4th of July. That's where I was. 4th of July all these people out on the water slide and we and there was lightning i could see lightning from the backyard i could see it like you know i couldn't tell how far away it was but i could see it it looked close right well no sound and then there and then shortly after it was like lightning okay now that space in there that's a great distance that's a big difference right that space in there is a lot of distance Right? It's miles and miles and miles. Because of that, right, I know that the light is traveling so much faster and the sound is traveling slower that the, the space in between the lightning and the sound that I see or the sound I hear correlates to the distance that that is away from me, right? The sound that I hear could be something so far away. But here's the thing you got to understand. When you hear a sound, when was the sound? It was in the past. You never heard a sound as it happened. You never saw something as it happened. There's always an amount of time between something happening and the light getting to you, right? Now, What's the fastest thing in the universe? What's the fastest thing we've ever observed? It's not a, a well, no, I was going to make a joke there. What's the fastest thing we've ever observed? It's, it's light. Light's faster than anything. We actually measure uh, distance in the speed of light. We do everything relative because eventually the distances get so large, we don't have a unit for it. So the best unit we have is how far away is that? Like when you're talking about huge space distance, you go, how far away of that? Well, let's measure it in how, how long it takes light to get there. 
Okay, let's measure it there. And how long it takes. So we have a light year. It takes light one year to travel a light year. There we go. There's no sound year because sound travels slower. We use it in miles per hour, miles per second, right? So that's how we can measure sound. When we look into vast, vast, when we look into far off places with telescopes into the universe, do you know what we see? We see light. And, and, and you know what we know? We know that the distance that that light originated from is so far away that sometimes we're looking and you say, well, how far away of that is that? And the answer is, that's a hundred light years away. That's, or that's a million light years away or a hundred million light years. So you can be sure of this. Listen, if something's a hundred light years away, that means the light you're seeing is a hundred years old. The photons that are hitting you are a hundred years old. What you're seeing is the past, not the present. You're not seeing the future. What you're seeing is the past, right? Okay, that's, that's light traveling. Sound also travels. So that vibration, right? If you put an amp super far away and it gets to you, the sound gets to you. You're hearing the past. Now, sound will dissipate because it will be diluted by its medium. The vibration of sound loses energy as it dissipates, right? The wave is energy, and that energy dissipates from the source to where it's going. It also, you know, stretches out. It's, it's, it, 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 it fills a space, it gets reflected, it, which with reflections it loses energy, yada, yada, yada. It's why in some places, like amphitheaters, which, ampli which stand for amplification theaters, amphitheaters, right? They actually amplify sound, that's their purpose. They have very, very little, little um, uh, uh, impedance to the sound. They're not uh, harming the waves. They're not. They're 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 removing minimal amounts of energy from the sound waves. It actually can help increase them. It can amplify them. It makes them travel further. Yada yada yada. Here's my point: light and sound that you hear happened in the past. Now, there's no note that Hendrix played that is still traveling out there that we can hear. But. We have the thing that made the sound. We have the speaker cone that made the sound. We have the signal chain that made the sound. The same one. And so when we do it again today, when we make it again today, it's like, it's like being in a time machine. It's like a projection of the past. It's as though you could see through his eyes, but it's just a different medium. It's fascinating. Anyway, back to what I was saying about the profiles. What's different? What's the same? Well, I've kept the signal chain the same, but one of the things that I've been able to do, because I sit there and I listen, I've always dialed in the sounds the same way, the same exact way. So I sit in that position. I familiarize myself with the sounds I've already made, and I use them to inform the sounds I want today. Meaning, 
you know, I can think, should an amp be brighter or less bright? But I can also just realize how it sounds through this monitor, how much bass there is, yada, yada. So it gives me a form of balance or a, a, a certain reference point. And then I can know how loud things should be, how much bass there should be, you know, those sorts of things. Because I also want to experience the coloration of that FRFR so that I know things are consistent. So I'm not, if, if the FRFR has more bass, I'm not, I'm not, you know, dialing that out and making something that sounds really empty when it's really just extra bass from the FRFR. The other thing that I'm doing differently, though, in there is I'm, I'm monitoring the same way, but what this is allowing me to do is because I'm not traveling to another location to profile and I'm not trying to profile multiple amps in one day, it's giving me the opportunity to really, really take my time and sit with amps. Now, I never rushed. I never, ever rushed to the point that I wasn't happy with the work I did, although one or two times I did redo amplifiers. But I, I, and here's how I know I never rushed. I never walked out of the church house studio having completed everything I wanted to that day, meaning I never did everything I wished I had done that day. I never did. And so because of that, I, I knew that I was taking enough time with the amps that I wasn't letting what I had to do dictate the quality, right? But sitting there and, and listening is another, it's another set of monitors. It's another room. And although I became familiar with that room, it meant I had to be familiar with two rooms. Now I'm familiar with one room and I actually get to profile and monitor the profiles live as I profile it in the same exact position as I dial them in and have always dialed them in. So that's an elimination of one variable, meaning I am now listening to the profiles in the same exact spot, same location, same monitor, same room when I'm profiling them and when I'm making adjustments to them. The other thing is I do notice that my 57 sounds, I would say of all the microphones, my fatheads sound like I remember the old fathead sounding, but my 57 sounds different. It is more exaggerated, more pointed. It's less useful to me as a single 57. I used to say about the Helix that um, I think the Helix 57, the model of the 57, in that in that sort of uh, in that so God, the birds want to be on this podcast. That 57 on the Helix is sort of an exaggerated version of 57. Like, what are 57s? They're really like spiky at 2K. They don't have a ton of bass, but they're really like mid-rangey, and they have like they have some high end, but they really have that those high mids. They have that dynamic sound. That's true. And the way I would say, it's like Line Six dialed in a 57 after having heard one, and then they dialed it in from memory. It's sort of like an exaggerated version of a 57. That's how I used to feel having worked with a couple 57s. I would say this new 57 that I use primarily is the closest sounding 57 to their 57 model. Meaning they might have actually modeled a specific 57 very accurately. It's just one that on the spectrum of how SM57 sound, it would be more spiky and thinner. And I don't know what makes microphones sound different from each other, one model from another, but I have heard, you know, producers say, this microphone is my secret weapon. And it'll be like a U67 or U87, a Newman, uh, Neiman, whatever. 
and they'll say that one is special that one is the one producers know their mics people who have mics and know them they know their mics i don't know i now have two fat heads i have a matched pair i do notice they sound slightly different from each other i have two sm7b's they sound actually dramatically different from each other dramatically different um one sounds a lot thinner than the other i don't know if the mic needs repair they both sound kind of similar None of them sound as like a 57. They both have a quality that's similar, but definitely there's one that – I'm not even kidding. One of these birds just flew within like two feet of my head. I'm on my porch. It just – it actually flew onto my deck and like in the deck and then, and then between some of the pillars to get out. They want to be on this podcast. Come sit down. Just – there's another chair. You can sit down, right? Come get this other chair right here. If you come sit here, I will interview you. He's just looking at me from a tree. If this bird comes over to this chair, this will be the greatest podcast ever. Come over here. I flew, he flew further away. Okay, anyway. Uh, well, we had a bird on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um... So mics do change. Like I, I would never – I would not recommend this 57 live. I would go get Chris's 57 and use it live if I had to use one 57 live. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the 57 because it had a little – it was rounder. Mine is more spiky, more pointy. And what that actually means is, oh my God, I did it again. It's, these birds are coming too close to me. What it actually means is that – um I'm, I'm dialing them in um, sometimes a little bit less. So sometimes you're getting a little less 57 because they're so they're now more spiky, more pointed. I'm really dialing them in with just like here's the fat head and then I'm just adding in that 57 until I get the high end that I like. And then I'm making some adjustments to the amp and stuff. And so I think two things there that are significantly different. One, monitoring through that monitoring through that um, the same system that I'm most used to is very useful. And then also um, having the mics be a little bit different is a little bit different. Now, here's the other thing I'm doing differently. I'm also doing something slightly differently I didn't always do before. I'm making more changes to the balance of the microphones as I change the amp sound than I used to. Meaning my approach used to be, okay, now that I have my mics dialed in, now I'm gonna up. Now I'm gonna up the um, the microphone. I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna up the gain on the amp. Like once I have my mic set and I have them balanced, I usually do that with a clean or clean-ish sound, right? I would dial in what becomes the third profile or the second profile when I'm balancing the microphones. I will then balance those microphones. Once they're balanced, it was. It, it's always been mostly set it and forget it. Once, once it's mic'd up well and I like the sound, I would then begin to change the amplifier. And as I rolled up the gain, I would remove bass, uh, you know, to make up for the, the bass that the gain knob is adding. Well, here's another approach that I discovered that I, I don't know, you know, you do things, you get good results. I don't know if I'm, I, I don't know if I like it a hundred percent better. I still have to adjust the bass on the amplifier when I roll up the gain, but here's another thing I'm doing. Um, 
I'm, I'm actually, as I roll up the gain, I'm making adjustments to the mix between like the fat head and the 57. Now, why is that important? Well, one day I was kind of looking online and I noticed that Sin Mix made a comment. He said, look, um, he didn't say it as politely as I'm going to say it. Let, let me just say that right now. The guy hardly says anything polite. But Sin Mix said, there is no magic profile. There's no more magic amplifiers. If you're dealing with the same cab and a 57, it all sounds the same. Now, I think Sin Mix was saying that like I get the feeling from Simix I don't I don't know and I don't mean to call him out he, he's a nice guy me and him have communicated a couple times um, he's a straightforward dude like a lot of people think he's rude or whatever I don't think he's rude I think that's just um, in the same way the German guys are German like he's very Polish I've known a couple Polish dudes and um, especially like the ones who are into metal they're, they just say what they think. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, if they think you're an an, an effing a-hole, they're just going to say that. And if you say that to another dude like him, it's not going to mean – you know what I mean? There's, he's not taking offense to stuff. You could totally poke fun at him. He's going to poke fun back. Like, dudes rib each other. You know what I mean? So if he ever ribbed me – and I think he has actually on one occasion. I just – I love it. I think it's hilarious. You know, and I, I would rib him. But I, I love everybody in the profiling community. I really do. Shout out to Sin Mix. Um, if you like the heavy modern metal stuff, I think he's doing some of the, the, the best stuff out there. I really do. Tight stuff. I don't know how he gets the stuff that tight. I really don't. Like, I would never do the stuff he's doing because I have no idea how to get it as tight as he does. No idea. It, like, impossible. I don't know. Anyway. He made a comment about you can't make – you can't – you know, if you put a 57 on a V30, there's no amp you're going to put in there that's going to be magical. That's so much a part of the sound, right? Well, I started thinking. I'm like these guys who do the heavier and heavier stuff, they rely more and more on the dynamic thing because of the characteristics of a dynamic microphone, a sort of um, – that there is tightness there, but the sort of the natural – shelving of low end and especially of the deep low end you don't want all that deep low end right so i started thinking i started thinking well logic would have it that the more gain you get the more the dynamic microphone should be relied upon to give its own eq curve so i started thinking instead of fighting the low end that the speaker is putting out with the the fat head and whatnot why don't I just bring the fat head down, you know? Instead of fighting the low end in the in the tone stack, maybe I'll just bring down the actual um, fat head mix. So I started doing that. So when people tell me, oh, the Dirty Shirley is the best pack, and I had this one, um, this one girl named Sarah. Uh, girl sounds like I'm... Like a, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm speaking down her. I wouldn't say this one boy emailed me. This this one I don't know what I call lady gal. Um, anyway, she can play. She's got some killer guitars. Um, uh, she ends up. Uh, she now that's a weird thing, isn't it? Isn't that weird? I don't like. I would just say dude. I'll call her a dudette. This one dudette was like because if I say lady, it's like. I don't know, when I say lady, like if you were encountering someone and I said, hey, lady, it'd be like, get out of the way, learn how to drive. If I said, oh, if I said um, this girl, it sounds like a little, sorry, I got cut off there. If I said girl, it, it sounds like a little girl. 
You know what I mean? And then if I'm, you know what I mean? I just, what do you, and then if it's like, this woman, I, I don't know, that sounds subjective. Doesn't it? It's a subjective, the word? I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So I'm going to go with Dudette. Anyway, she can rip. She's got some sweet PRSs. She's got a really cool wit for tell. Anyway, I always see her guitars on Instagram, and I told her the other day, I actually get, she has a real, you know some people just like sort of curate a really nice guitar collection, and you're like, oh, yeah, that is a sweet collection. Some collections work together. Sometimes I actually think my collection is disjointed. You know, and it bothers me. I feel like I need something to round it out. I don't know. I, I'm kind of a, sometimes I wonder if my, like, you know, mental illness is a spectrum. Like, is this, is, is my need, like, I needed another guitar to round out my collection of 10 guitars because, like, there's a missing, is that compulsive? Is that some sort of, I don't know what that is. You know what I mean? I don't think that's healthy, though. Anyway, back to the point at hand. That dirty Surly amp is a good example of me rebalancing the 57 with the fathead. And, you know, honestly, here's another thing. I added a piece of gear to the setup. I used to balance the mics with their, simply with their outputs on the Neve clones. Um... But what I've added now is there's an internal mixer built into um, the actual rack unit that I have. So I forget who makes it, but it's one of the only rack units out there, like a 500 series rack, where you can put in 500 series pre's. And then what, what you do next is, yeah, you can put in 500 series pre's, and then you can actually... Um, sum them together. There's an internal summing mixer where you have options to turn on and off all these different channels and there, you can send them left and right. So what I do for the Kemper is I send everything to the left side. I go out of the left side into the Kemper return and the right side I could use to monitor for other projects or whatnot, um, but I'm hardly doing that. But um, I also, so I can actually rebalance them. I can actually start to bring down the volume post me in this post mixer unit, you know, sort of post preamp. So I don't have to actually affect the preamp by bringing the volume up or down. These are all minute changes. These all shouldn't make a huge difference. And so that's kind of my point here. I don't know what I'm doing that's adding up to a big difference. The other thing is my, my ear can change. And I do notice one thing I'm doing sometimes is I'm actually, the JM is no longer, like I used to say this, everything's made for my JM Pro. And it always was made for my Jam Pro, and I would do this. I would take the Jam Pro, I would use the Jam Pro, the P90s, on everything when I was profiling. And I would sort of just check other guitars. You know, I'd grab it and check. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's good, that's good, that's good. Or I'd make a small adjustment. But now that I'm at home, I don't have to bring two and three guitars to the studio. So I will often, in my time getting to know these amps, I will dial in sounds that I like, and I'll switch to a 335. I'll switch to the, um, the old Starfire. I'll switch to the Tele. I'll switch to this. And I find myself honing in on settings that really work in different locations. Now, let me give you a good example of that. On this pack that's coming out this weekend, um, it's the 62 Prince Tone. And it comes with some bonus profiles called the 62 Prince Gold. The Prince Gold uses a, a 212 Gold cab. 
and I did a couple of those profiles. I did about ten of those, um, ten you know with and without the clon. But I took the Prince Tone, and I said, "Hey, this is a single channel amp, but a lot of other amps have a bright channel. Like the Deluxe has a bright channel and a non-bright channel, but the Princeton just has volume and tone. So what if I shot it as though there were a bright channel? Because when I turned the, the tone to four, it was a nice sound that I thought fit beautifully. It was fat. It was Princeton-y sounding. It was just great. And it's that sound with, um, it was that sound with just, just something that like enough fatness, but enough brightness that it just felt like a Princeton, right? But when I rolled that, that that treble knob, that tone knob up to seven, from four to seven, all of a sudden I went, oh, this is like a bright switch on a Fender. This now feels like there's a bright channel on here. With the Strat, you could do the bright sort of Hendrixy stuff, but I bust out my new 335. Well, it's not new, it's from 1981. I grabbed that and I went, oh my. And you're gonna hear it in the demo. The Suze and I both were like, that's it. It's over. Top 10 Tone Junkie Tones. Like this 335 on the neck, in the middle, on the with this Princeton, this is on the bright channel. And see, why did I get that idea to do a bright channel like that? I did it from using other guitars. And these PAFs in here, these Maxon made PAFs made in Japan. There's a Japanese made Greco from 81. These were... They're very warm. They're very fat PAF style pickups. They have a nice top end, but they have a lot of warmth, a lot of mids. So you need something really bright to make that thing really sort of chime and cut. And that fatness along with that brightness really fits there. It's a little much for the strap. You darken it up, you go to a nice bright strat, all of a sudden you're in strat heaven with that thing. That's a good example. Now, what does that mean? That means there's other guitars that people are going to use the, the bright profiles for that are going to be great. Um, now, is it going to be that 335? No, but it's going to, it's now informing the profile set. You get what I'm saying? So it's me, now that I have 10 guitars with me all the time, I find myself more and more grabbing other guitars. I'm, I'm using the JM as a baseline. That's still true. But I'm, I'm spending more time on other guitars really checking out stuff. And it's allowing me now to throw in some profiles like this, these bright profiles that I wouldn't make. They'd be too bright for me with just the JM. But I'm able to now put in the profile notes for the bright profiles, right? You might find these useful with guitars like this, with these darker sounding guitars. It's a little bit how Sela sounds. You might think of how they're doing the humbucker single coil. You know, I believe now to them, I believe they're shooting everything with the single coils and then they're brightening them up with the definition. They're making them kind of correct later on with, with the with knobs uh, in the Kemper. They're sort of making edited versions of the profiles. And I'm not saying that's, that's good. That's, that's an approach that uh, is very logical. I totally understand. Um, I've had a lot of people uh, request that of me. Honestly, it's a great idea. The only reason I haven't done it is I, I don't really want people to think I copied them or whatever. And I have kind of a consistent format that I'd like to continue. But 
That doesn't mean that I can't add a brighter set of profiles and say this could work here because it also could work with a strat. Depends on your strat. The bright profiles work better with my Sur strat because they're a little warmer pickups, even though it's still stratty, than say Goldie. So that's different. What else is different? Um, my ear, I think, is different. I really think that I have, um, I think that ears change. And I think, like I said kind of at the beginning, my preference is getting a little different. Um, and I think I'm dialing in things that might not just be as I would use them as much. So the dirty Surly amp is like just, you know, that thing sounds phenomenal. It does. It sounds great. And, um, you know, it gets going pretty quickly. Maybe had I been just relying on my, like, and I'm okay with that. You know, maybe at another time I would have got, I would have been, I got more profiles in the edge of breakup area. But it's not really what that amp does. It does it nicely though. But I wanted to get to the other stuff. Um, I am using a real Klon now, but I've only been doing that on a couple packs. That can't be it. Um, Honestly, I think working with Stu has changed my ear a bit. I, I really have, I've listened to Stu G play the guitar so much and I know his effects and I know his sounds. And look, if you listen to something repeatedly and, and, and this is true of just amps and everything, if you do something long enough, you get better at it. And it pains me to, to it, see part of me is like this. I am so proud of what I did with the Cerebella. I, I love that pack. The Benson pack is still, people tell me, that's a classic. The Suze comes over all the time and he goes, let me hear it with the Benson. Like if I get a new guitar, he'll go, just pull up the Benson profiles. Because he plays that still so much. He loves it. Stoogie's Arshall is another one of his new favorites. Stoogie's Arshall isn't even out yet. Um, but but we're having the Suze make a performance pack for it. for the for, for And he's saying, this is Suze saying this. And look, I want to say this. When, I, when you see me saying something's my favorite or Sue saying something's the favorite or the best, I want you to really take note and point out that Tone Junkie has to have released like 100 packs by now. We have not said that 100 times. And if anything, like what's the, what was the Sue, look, if you go on Facebook and you go in the Kemper Praise and Worship group, what was the Sue saying he's using on Sundays? It's not the Tone Junkie worship performance. He modified, the Sue's worship template is Brian Carl's uh, uh, performance that he dialed in for, I think, Glorious Day, or maybe it was a Revelation song. I can't remember, but Sue's just changed one reverb on there and then was like, this will work for any praise and worship set now. So the Sue's worship template was something Brian made, like we didn't even make it. Brian Carl made it. And then Suze was like, this is great. Do you mind if I edit this? And then Brian was like, yeah, put it out, man. You could put it out for free. Like, that's cool. You edited it. You took what I did. You changed it so it would work more broadly. Like, this is something people could take into any Sunday morning. It now has enough, like, variety with delays and verbs. That's the Suze's worship template. He put it out with Brian's profiles. Like, Suze's name is on it. Suze is on Tone Junkie TV. Suze has an amp pack on Tone Junkie TV. On Tone Junkie, you know what I'm saying? And he put, and he was like, hey guys, Suze Worship Temple. And it has Brian's profiles and Brian's effects. 
that Sue's just tweaked and said, here's what I'm using. Like totally endorse someone else's thing. So we don't have an agenda. I'm not like Sue's say this, Sue's do this, Sue, you know, not at all. Sue's does what he wants. Like I'm like, Sue's, you come over, you're a tone junkie, you're in the videos. He's part of this, like Sue's profiles with me and stuff, but like, Dude, the Sue's can tomorrow. What's the other one? Those bad cap profiles he was shouting out. A&M, right? We don't know that company. No, we don't know anyone there. No one's given us any money, blah, blah, blah. I've pointed out that the free, um, what's his name? Hans something from Mix Berlin is like the best. Here's my point. I got love for everybody. So when you hear me say like the Arshul, Sue's is saying the Arshul is his favorite. Like this performance he's built is his favorite he's ever done. Well, that's, I mean, it's his favorite right now. It might not be his favorite forever. Like, taste change. Does that mean the Sue's worship template is not his favorite? No, it's classic for him now. Like, I'm never going to sell the King of Tone. It's a forever pedal. I'll always love the King of Tone. But guess what? I'm using the brown protein drive right now. It's different. It's not, I don't know if it's better. It's different. It's just different, man. You know what I mean? It's just different. So, here's what I'm saying. We got love for Brian Carl. I want Brian Carl to be successful. We got love for James Duke. I want James Duke to be successful. We got love for Nigel, for Droff. I want Droff and the multi tracks guys to be successful. I want everyone to be successful. Rising tides lift all boats. Wait, I want to tell you this for one minute. In case anyone ever thinks that I think there's competition out there, there's no competition out there. Why? Because when I look at, at what's happening in the world, I go, are we kidding? Competition? Like, I want you to imagine this. We're not surfers fighting for a wave. We're all surfers in the water. And dude, the waves are about to get so good. Do you not see the tide changing? The tide is changing. I saw the Kemper Praise and Worship Group go from 200 to 3,000 in two years. Yeah, but... I saw it go from like 200 people and like maybe 40 people were talking to like 3,000 and like 1,000 people are talking. I'm seeing the other Kemper groups get big. I ju- the reason Tone Junkie just did some Helix stuff is I have been getting so many people going, will you please make stuff for the Helix? I saw people, some people were selling their Kempers, getting the Helix, getting the HX Stomp, and I've seen people then you know go, I'm not as happy or please... Do you know the amount of people that have messaged me and said, can you please, please do some tone junky stuff for the Kemp, for the, for the Helix, for the HX Tom? I love your stuff for the Kemper. I also use Helix or I sold my Kemper because I just want to use the HX Stomp. I'm, I'm having a hard time with this and that. Now look, I'll tell you another thing. Like Sue's flat out told me, he looks at me. We, listen, we couldn't, I'm not one of these guys who's going to tell you that something is good because I can make money doing it. I'm not. I'll tell you why. I can make money doing other things. I was, I didn't prof, I wasn't just a profiler before. Like I, 
I've had jobs. I could, I'm not, I, this sounds arrogant. I could just go get a job. That'd be fine. Like that, that's fine. I happen to be, I happen to have enough work experience in a line of work that is, and where I live, there are plenty of those jobs right now. Like I moved to an area, I opened an office to come out here. And one of the things I looked at is where talent and jobs were because jobs attract talent. So I knew that if jobs in certain industries uh, around the creative industries, uh, marketing, uh, finances and creative, but that one's growing too, IT, if, if there's a small tech corridor somewhere, I knew that it would attract talent and me opening an office for my former company that I would need those uh, magnets to attract talent so that I could also take advantage of that, that selection pool, right? What that means is like I get, there's jobs out here and I know people. I'm good at networking. If you haven't noticed, I'm good at talking. You've been listening to me for almost 90 minutes now, right? HW can talk. HW knows tone. HW knows how to talk, right? I recognized long time ago that the Helix market is bigger than the Kemper market. If it was just about money for me, if it seriously, like, dude, I get it. People, once you start selling stuff and it's a bit and whatever, I get it, man. But the reason that I put out free packs, the reason I left that 50% off code go for so long is straight up because I'm just trying to say thank you. I'm already trying to do another free pack and I just did... And I feel like I'm not even giving enough love to the free packs I did. The deluxe divided pack is so freaking good. It's every bit as good as everything else I put out. A guy called me, Ryan, called me and was like, I want the real amp. Can I have it? I was like, here, dude, borrow it. I was like, look, man, the, I'm telling you those profiles are so good. Just you already have the profiles. You sure you want the amp? I'm like, dude, take it. Call me in a couple weeks. Call me in a couple weeks. We'll talk about it. If you still want it, you can have it, you know? And I get, because, because what's the point of the amp? I don't know. But hey, but he had a situation where he wanted an amp sometimes. He wanted an amp, um, uh, like for church and stuff, for, for other players. And he just wanted to have one in his house. And I get it. I mean, I always have amps in my house. So I'm spoiled. I always get to like, you know, participate uh in 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 you know playing real tube amps and enjoy that experience for what it is but look point being this a long time ago i would have put out helix and hx stuff hx stomp stuff if it was just about money if it wasn't about passion if it was just about money i'd also have act stuff out because there's no reason that i've made profiles or i've made uh irs and how long have i had the first irs out months and all I would have to do is drop, go get an axe, drop it in, dial some stuff up. Seriously, I could, I could build it in 20 minutes. And I'd go, here you go, built on the IR. Like if it was just that, that's all I would do. But, I, but here's the thing. I am, I'm one of us. And if a dude was putting stuff out and he was like, I never play these. I never use it live. And so that's why I've used my Stomp Live. That's why I've used the Helix Live. Look. When I'm running out of time and I and, and I got to go do my thing, I'm grabbing my Kemper and I'm grabbing my performance that I know like the back of my hand. I get messages from a lot of people, HW, um, uh, look, or, or this topic comes up a lot. HW, are you, has anything knocked off your Ace 30 profiles? And 
I know what they're saying, but in that question, what's not being said is, is anything better than that pack you did a long time ago? And I'm, it's hitting me like this. Uh, I mean, is anything better? I mean, sure. I think so. I actually do think so. But here's the thing. I've made that performance. It works. I've made a ton of adjustments. It works in the mix with that guitar I've got. You know, like with that one guitar, I know how it sits and I know the sounds and I'm making no EQ adjustments, no effects adjustments on any Sunday I play now. I 100% know that like the back of my hand. I know what rig one sounds like. I know what rig one sounds like when I morph it up. I know what rig two sounds like. I know what two sounds like when I morph it up. I know that rig three and four morphed up give me three is delay and verb. And then three up, three morphed up is more delay, not as much verb. So it's more of that James Duke, more delay. It's more of that Stoogie with this thing off sound. And it's more of the Stoogie thing because it's brighter. And then I know that number four, my four rig on the HW nose tone thing is the washed out rig. And that's where I have the verb higher. And so it's a washed out sound. Then I've got five, which is my ambient big thing, right? So the, the question is like, did anything bump that off? Well, look. I put the Stu G amp, the Stu G 62 AC, uh, in the number one slot, and that for, and and that's got blues. And in one iteration of it, when I've been playing the Starfire, because I have multiple performances, like I made one called HW Nose Tone SF. It's just it's it's I just changed some EQ to make it fit my Starfire a little better because those pickups are different, you know. It needed a little more mid range because those are scoop pickups, um, and it needed. And it need a little less high end because they have a really kind of bright brightness in the high end. Um, but but so for it to work, so what I did there though was I put in two of those. So my not so my like what I call my so my clean and my not so clean, my clean ish. Uh, those are both the Stu G amps. Did it did it knock out the KOT? You know the King of Tone version of that profile, the Ace Thirty profile uh, that I use for the more upbeat rockin' songs. No. But I'm just used to that profile. Like nothing's going to remove that because I like the king of tone there. So why did I say all that? I'm saying sometimes I use what just works, but I'm not always after what just works. I'm after what I really like. I'm at, it's, like a, it's like, what are you optimizing for? What gets the job done or, or what you love? But I never put out anything that I don't like just for the money, you know, never like, like, honestly, I don't want to, I've always shied away from doing updates. Cause I feel like I don't have, no, no, I don't have anything to add. I did. I did my best. You know what I mean? Like this is the best I can do, but the, uh, the original, I put out uh, two helix and HX stomp patches that have to do with the JTM and the matchless. And I made two more. And the only thing I'd like to update on those first ones is that I realize now with the helix, you can switch to different modes and I, I should have done more programming. Like I, I optimized it for one mode, but when you switch into stop mode, there's a couple buttons I didn't use that I should have assigned for people. Now people kind of sign up themselves, but that's the only one I'm thinking of updating. You know, it's just because it's like, oh, I should have assigned some more buttons for you so you have more functionality. You could do it yourself, but it's cool if I do it for you. Anyway, we've gotten way off, off topic here. But what, what, what's different? Maybe my, my thing has changed. Listening to Stu has changed. Some of my methods have changed. I think, though, if you do something for two years consistently, you get really good at it. 
That's just my thought. And maybe you get it gets different. And I don't know. I, I will say this one thing is I, I do, maybe my mood's different. Man, I used to, this used to be my day when I was profiling. I'd wake up at like five in the morning. I'd load up five or six amps that I had bought and, and brought in. And it'd be this big gear haul to get to the studio do everything, meet the guys there, try to get going, try to get set up, get the tones right, start profiling. It, we always never got a ton done before lunch. There'd be a lot of setup. It'd be a slow start. We'd be doing profiles, boom, boom, boom. And then bang. And and it, it was the type of thing where, you know, we're, we're trying to get things done and I, I never got everything done. But my focus is on moving consistently through the day, you know, but now, do you know when I profile now? Dude, I hardly ever profile when the sun is out anymore. I I have had all night profiling sessions before. I get a second little surge of energy like after midnight. And there's a weird thing I've been doing. I've been I've been like saying like I'll go upstairs in my bed and me and my wife are like watching some show. We'll watch Handmaid's Tale, Game of Thrones, whatever's on, whatever's clever, Fargo, whatever. Thank you for the shout out of Fargo recommendation, by the way. Some people recommended that show to me. I was looking for a show, posted it. People put it out there. Appreciate that. It's good. We're on the third. We watched seasons one and two. We're on third one. Fargo is a good show if you ain't watched it. Fargo season four, I heard, is coming out soon with Chris Rock. That'll be cool. And then this happened. One day I noticed that I would stay up all night working on stuff. And I've been doing that lately. I would say once, one night a week. Because I got. I don't know. I just am working a lot right now. One night a week, I'm probably up all night. And I mean, when I say up all night, I mean, I go to bed at four or five in the morning and I, and I then will sleep for like two or three hours until one of my sons wakes me up. And then I just go about the day. Um, and here's the deal. Here's, here's what that means. Like I get this surge of energy and I go downstairs and I might like put on a Joe Rogan podcast while I'm setting stuff up, going, going, going. And then I sit there and I just profile. Like I just profile. Set up some pedals, try some stuff out. And I just profile. It takes hours. Like, you know, you get a pack with 30 profile. That took me, that took me hours, man. Three, four. I've had profiles take all night, you know. Or I'll profile in the, in the afternoon. I did some profiles in the afternoon the other day, but you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it just feels more like me just doing my thing, like just enjoying myself, no real rush on the time, just getting through it, you know? And I just feel so in my element, you know, just like with some coffee or like a Coke Zero, which I'm trying to, I'm going to stop doing the Coke Zero. I don't know about that stuff. Aspartame, who knows what that's doing? I already have my kids. So, I mean, who cares if it makes me sterile? You know what I mean? But, you know, I don't know. It can't be good for you. And like, just, just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's HW in his environment. You know? Like, I look outside. I'm looking outside a window right now. I've done this podcast now. We've been talking so long. I've been in like 12 different places while doing this. You probably noticed the sound changing. But I'm looking outside. I can see a rabbit right now. He always pops out of these little trees. I think he lives in there. And, uh, dude, he's just like in his habitat. HW, 
amp in the next room turned on 10, JM Pro, different guitar sitting next to me, going through the my monitors, going through my FRFR, just grabbing stuff with the amp up there, sending the sending the speaker signal to my cabs in the other room. That's when that's when I'm in my zone. When the amp's right there, but the speakers are all the way in the other room and I can just hear it through cuz look, when I'm monitoring through the system that I'm most used to playing, I'm hearing how those profiles are going to sound like accurately. And it's good. I think I think working with Stu has influenced my ear. You know what I'm saying? And I think maybe maybe just the mood. Like at night, I get into a weird mood. I get really positive at night. You know what I mean? I'm positive all the time, but um, no, not all the time. Yeah, I'm positive all the time. I'm positive, dude. You know, like right now, it's 9.30 in the morning. I started this podcast at like 8 a.m. or something. It's like 9.30 in the morning. I'm positive. I know, like, I'm going to go get, do the grilled cheesery thing later. Mike Payne's coming over. We're going to do some stuff. And it's going to be fun. And, but at night, I get this thing. Like, I don't know. I just go like, I don't know. There's something that happens. This thing sets in. I get in my element. I just go like, look, you know what it is? My kids are in bed. My kids are in bed and they're sleeping and they're quiet. And usually like right before I go to bed, I go in there, I look at them for a minute or two. You know what I mean? I tuck them in. I already tucked them in, like putting them to bed, but I go in there and they're just so peaceful. You know, they're peaceful. And I look at my kids and I go, I love you almost as much as my vintage amplifier. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) no. (laughs) No, I love my kids to death. People don't get it, you know, like when you have kids, it's a different love, man. It's a different love. Like if a dude walked into my house right now and was like, held a gun at me and was like, you are your kids. I would literally look at him and I'd be like, are you insane? Of course me. Like you don't even need to ask. Like I would like gladly. A hundred percent. Uh, Mr. Sullivan, uh, one of your kids uh, needs a kidney. And uh, we want to let you know, like, there's only, a, if you give him a kidney, there's a there's a 90% chance you will perish. Uh, and there's a, a, a 10% chance, uh, but, but, it, but, you know, there's only like 50-50 that he'll live. I, I would be, listen, I'd be in a hospital gown before he finished the sentence. You know what I mean? They'd be like, why are you getting naked? I'd be like, I'm changing this hospital again. Like it. And I don't think I ever feel that more than when they're just peaceful, sleeping. And you see them, the innocence of them. I'll give you, you want to know a life hack too? If you want to be a good person, if you want to be a good person in life, this is the truth. If you want to be a good person, look at everybody and try to see them backwards. Like look at the grizz, gr- grizzly, dirty, smelly, mentally challenged bum on the street who's talking to himself and like throwing his shoes, you know, and like harassing people. Like look at him, look at his face, try to erase the wrinkles and, and try to picture that, that guy as a little kid. Dude, that's somebody's baby. That's someone's baby, man. And you know what? Here's the truth. 
probably, probably, because of the situation and whatnot, because of whatever, probably that guy didn't have anyone when he was little who looked at him and was like, I'd, gl- I'd gladly give of myself. I'd gladly give greatly of myself for my kids to have only marginal benefit. Like, I'm making trades that don't even make sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, like, like, will you, like, I mean, I would never make this investment. This would be stupid. But like, you know, uh, here, invest $10 and your kids will get the advantage of one. I mean, actually, parents do that all the time. Kids receive marginal benefits from huge sacrifices to parents. And parents are willing to do that. That's an economic thing that was first. That's that. That's the root of irrational economic behavior as proposed by Milton Friedman, uh, the famous ec- economist. And a lot of that theory was later sussed out and is still kind of mentioned by Thomas Sowell. Uh, if you're not familiar, um, it's, uh, it's, it's the explanation for a lot of uh, irrational... Uh, findings in economic models where uh, for, for a long time in economics, uh, you, we assumed that everybody would act rationally. And normally you, you do assume rational behavior, but you have to acknowledge that people have a rationale as an individual, which, uh, but then they have a rationale as a, as a community and as a family unit. And so individuals often make irrational decisions in light of the, in light of the group. Uh, meaning like, you know, parents, for example, parents will go work a second job and maybe stay up all night and they will invest money, 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 money into, to pay for a really good school for college for their kids. Even though the numbers show that like by going to that school on average, that child may not, may only receive a marginal benefit, you know, as opposed to a different college, but it, that doesn't matter. Parents don't care about that stuff. That's why, like, Gerber can offer life insurance, you know? It's like baby food, life insurance. What are you talking about? And that's why all, like, baby Einstein and this genius stuff, it's all rooted in fear, you right? Nobody wants to have a dumb kid. So you're just like, hey, by the way, if you don't buy these DVDs, your kid will be dumb. They'll be dumb and they'll have a terrible life. And then what kind of parent will you be? And then you're like, oh, my God, buy these DVDs. I, my kid needs to, like, hear, like, Mozart music on a toy piano and, like, a baby face in the sun go by and, like, shapes Somehow that's going to make them strong or good or smart. They'll be Einstein. Even baby Einstein. Like, what a, what a joke. What a ridiculous... You want that baby to be smart. Talk to it. Play with it. Interact with it. That's how their brains develop. Sometimes we're a bunch of dummies. We act like... like Nobody had baby Einstein DVDs before now. And there's and Einstein didn't have baby Einstein DVDs. Why don't we look at Einstein's childhood and look at him? That's irrational too. That doesn't make sense either because we're not all Einstein. So it doesn't make sense that the input would yield the output if you have other variables that change. And maybe that is the point of this whole podcast, isn't it? We have changing variables. Because the real changing variable in am I making better profiles ever is you. Because here's my last point. If you're still listening to this, you're amazing. You're a super fan. And you're the only people I want to share this with. Here's the real truth. Am I making better profiles than I've made before? 
Are the old ones better? Are the new ones better? If people are saying they're better, they must be noticing some difference, right? So is it better or worse? Well, that's subjective because here's why. I cannot win. I have had five people now message me and say the profiles are consistently better, but I had a guy the other day, his name's David, he's a friend of mine, I, I, no, no, uh, no hard feelings. Me and him have gone back and forth. I don't know if it's his monitoring system or what, or his ear, maybe he's dealing with really bright guitar, I don't know. But it's, I mean, he says he finds a lot of things that I make unusable, unusably shrill and high-endy and... I had another guy who said the same thing. I've had, there's people right now about the Stu G stuff going, they're so bright, I can't deal with it. And then there's other people going, they're perfect. And then I got people, somebody who, who said, this is what they said, I literally, the two messages are next to each other. I had one person saying, hey, I just wanted to reach out and tell you the Dirty Surly Pack was so good like I used, I bought it, I made a rock performance last that night and with my rock country band, I, I played, they sound phenomenal. Like your packs are consistently getting better somehow. They're con- that lately they've been cons- like just better than they've ever been. And then right under that, hey HW, I noticed the Durley Surly pack is really dark. It's really dark, like almost unusable for me. Is there a reason for that? <laughs> I'm going, I, I have no, yeah, there has to be. You two, if you got together and we compared your setups, a hundred reasons. A hundred reasons why someone might go, why you, it could be the style of music, let's say your gear was the same, could be the style of music you play, could be this, could be that, could be all sorts of stuff. I don't know. I, I just don't know. I wish I could fix it for everybody. I really do. And it bums me out, dude. It bums me out because that guy who said the Dirty Surly pack was was dark, dude, he's bought so many packs and he's loved so many packs. So he was like, so that guy, um, I, I don't want to shout him out because I, I mean, I, I mean, shout out to him. I just, I, I, I don't, I just, I, I hope that I haven't said anything that would make someone upset because I, I love this dude. I got love for this dude. But he was like, the AC pack's too bright, the Dirty Surly's too dark, right? And I'm going like, huh, okay, okay, okay. But then he's got other packs of mine that he, he really loves, he really digs, right? I've got people going, your latest stuff is the best. This mattress is the best you've ever made. Then I've got dudes going, I have played the Massless Chieftain for a year and a half, never found anything better. Bradford from Worship Tutorials is like, Empire 6, Empire 6, Empire 6. Empire 6 profile is the best profile. I keep coming back to it. Ben Sun, Ben Sun Chimer, Ben Sun Chimer, right? Did the ear heart stuff. People are like, can you bring back the Ben Sun Chimer and do it with the ear heart? And it's like, I, there's so many people. Then someone posted, you know, hey, whatever happened? People said the AC, the Stu GAC30 was the best ever. Now I don't hear anyone talk about it. Then all these dudes chimed in. I'm still using it. I use it every weekend. I'm using it every weekend. I use it every week. It, it's so diverse, right? It's just, I, there's so many Kemper users, you know? And I, I don't know. I just don't know. I, I, literally, if I change something, someone will say, it's the best ever. You did it. You unlocked the code, HW. End thread. 
And then someone else is going to be like, too dark, unsub, un, or dislike, unsub. <laughs> Dudes, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. But, but I'm really positive about it. I'm not like, I'm not complaining at all. I just have to go back to this. I have to, I have to, I keep saying this to people. Look, there was a time when I was releasing stuff once a month, right? And that was the time when I think it was good to say Tone Junkie's my favorite profiler, if it was. But at this point, I'm releasing so much stuff and of so and of such a broad range, right? I'm literally doing like a spacey tone amp and then a dirty Shirley amp and then a plexi and then a vintage Vox and then, uh, you know, a, a Bend Sun profile, like super kind of obscure boutique stuff. And then the Tone King Imperial, like it's so diverse, right? That like, it's at the point, it's like, look, I don't know what you're playing. I don't know. But, but. There's rock dudes saying the Dirty Surly sounds incredible for rock gigs. So maybe it's more fitting for that environment. And it could be have to do with the gear and stuff. But it's maybe it's more suited for that environment. And this one is more suited for this environment. And this one is going to be really suited for what you really like because of how it's done, how, how the amp is itself, right? If we're really capturing tones then it has to do with how I mic'd it, how I recorded it, how I profiled it, and what the topography of the amp is, you know? It's got to have to do with all that stuff. So am I making the best profiles now that I've ever made? So says them. I don't know. I still pull up this. I had one guy say, say to me, man, your profiles have gotten consistently better. I, I, can you get another Sir Bella? I'd love to see what you did with it now. And I'm like scratching my head going, I play those Sir Bella profiles all the time. They sound phenomenal. I thought they sounded great. I hope they don't sound bad. I thought they sounded great. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So, anywho. Anywho, anywho what does all that mean? It means if you enjoy the old stuff, enjoy. If you enjoy the new stuff, enjoy. But if you're like HW, you enjoy all the stuff. And you enjoy Michael Britt's stuff. And you enjoy the James Duke profiles and the Sela stuff and the Brian Carl stuff and the Nigel stuff. You enjoy it all, you know? What I hate though, and I got to say this, I, I, I hate when people, like this is a stupid comment. It's just, it's, this is a dumb comment. It's so stupid. Oh, I play M. Britt. He makes the best profiles. Oh, I, oh no, Salem makes the best stuff. Tone Junkie makes the best, even this, Tone Junkie makes the best stuff. If your idea is that one person makes the best stuff, you're probably leaving good stuff on the table. Like you're probably not trying stuff. Here's the thing. I don't like every Michael Britt profile, right? Why? Because I don't like every amp. I have played the Michael Britt EVH amp. I don't love those profiles. Now, I don't know anything about that amp. I'll profile that amp one day. No idea if I'll like the amp. But I just play those profiles and I'm like, I don't like this. You know what other profiles I don't like? I like Michael Britt's profiles of the, of, the pro, of the vintage silver Jubilee. I don't like the reissue Jubilee. Don't like them. They sound fizzy in the high end. Is that Michael or is that the amp? Well, I liked his vintage 87 
Jubilee. Or maybe I did the 87 Jubilee. He did a, a Jubilee. I don't remember what year it was, but he did an old vintage one. And then I did one. Oh, no, no. I, sorry. He did one. And then he did another one. And then I later did one. I, mine, <coughs> I like my 87 profiles. And I like his one of the vintage ones. I don't like his profiles of the reissue. Is that the amp or is that him? I don't know. Maybe Michael Britt did a bad job with those profiles. How could I know? How do I know? I don't. I just know I don't prefer the sound of those profiles. Would I, would I hold that against the guy? No. Why? Because if it weren't for Michael Britt, I would never have done Tone Junkie. Because I would have got the Kemper, not played his stuff, and been like, this sucks. It was his JRT, his JTM 45, his, you know, Michael Britt American Clean from his, from his, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I still am a fan of his tones. I'm a fan of him. He's a great dude. So it's, a you know, how could I say that? Like I wouldn't take, you can't take a bad profile from someone or just a sound you don't like and go, it's their fault. I hate it. Now, if you're like, I know this amp really well, and I bought this profile pack, and it sounds nothing like it. I've had a bunch of people go, I had this amp, you captured it exactly like I remember, you know? Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not getting the message from people like, I had this amp, your, your profile sounds nothing like it. But my point is, I'm not going to say Michael Britt makes dumb profiles because there was one thing he made that I didn't like because he's made so many that I do like. So my thing is like, if you consist, like I'm saying, I get that you could like every, you could, I just, it's a weird thing, right? I get, it's all about, there's a selection and everything. If you want to say Tone Junkie makes the best, I would say, don't say that. Like, that's not like, if, if you're like Tone Junkie makes my favorite, that makes sense. If you say Tone Junkie picks the best amps, that makes sense. But to me, I would say this, like, I really like, I don't even know. You can have a favorite. I'm just saying for me. Like, look, I look at guys that I know have good tone and like, look, the guys at Worship Tutorials in me have, have like a, an agreement. Uh, like they're using some of my IRs in their HX, in their Helix stuff. They're also using Kemper, some of my Kemper profiles and stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, me and Troy, like Troy uses my Kemper profiles for his products, uh, but Troy also uses own hammer. IRs, not Tone Junkie IRs. I'm not mad at him about that. He use, he's been using Ownhammer stuff before I started making IRs. He says the Ownhammer stuff sounds great. He said the other day TJ stuff sounded great too. Bradford Mitchell, uh, like they use my Kemper stuff, right? They use my Kemper, right? I'm not like, it's not like, hey, you're on my team, dude. Only shout out Tone Junkie. No, they, one of their favorite profiles ever is the Sela Red, uh, uh, the, the, the Nigel MK2 whatever thing. And it sounds it sounds great. It's it's a lot of people's like favorite ever. So, how could someone be? I mean, it, to me, it's just like if Sela puts out a new pack and it's something you really want and, and sounds great in the demos, go buy that. That could be your favorite pack. The Suze is, the Suze has told me those A and M Bad Cat profiles are some of his favorite profiles ever. The Michael Britt JMT are some of his favorite ever. Fantastic. How would anyone get mad at that? All right, I think I've repeated this about a hundred times now. I, I have no idea. 
how to make better profiles than I do today. I have no idea, but I'll try to be, I'll try to be better at it. I'll try to get even better. And uh, I, w- I want to say this. I appreciate you guys uh, listening. Thank you so much. It's been episode 58 of the Tone Jakey Podcast. It's been a long one, maybe a record here. Um, uh, appreciate you guys so much. People have been super encouraging. A couple podcasts ago, uh, I had a little emotional moment. People sent me messages, and honestly, I didn't even read uh, all of them. Uh, I'm going to go read them now, though. Uh, I just did, I just didn't know. I didn't want to address it anymore. Like I didn't want to read about it. But some people sent me messages, and I I, I I didn't get back to anybody yet. And it was just a, I hit a spot. You know what I mean? I hit a spot for me, and I wasn't ready to just bring it back up. And I didn't want to read the messages, people. But um, Dude, I love you guys. I love this community. Stay positive. Man, go get yours. Whatever your whatever your dream is, your tonal dream, your life dream, just go do your thing, man. Like, go do your thing. Love your family. Be happy. Buy an amp. Buy a camper profile. Buy a pedal. Uh, give to some starving kid in Africa. Do whatever. Do you. You know what I mean? Spend your money in a way that you're proud of. That's the thing. Make money in a way you're proud of. Spend money in a way you're proud of. Take care of your family in a way you're proud of. Love people around you in a way that you're proud of. That's the only thing you can ask people to do. We all have these different sort of convictions. You know, some people are really, they have a real heart for, you know, kids who don't have enough food locally to them. That's an issue that's come up for me in middle Tennessee. There's a lot of kids. There's a lot of poverty uh, in Tennessee. Uh, I live in a wealthy little area of Tennessee. Like Middle Tennessee has a lot of jobs, a lot of economic activity. Nashville is booming. It's crazy. But, but I'm meeting. I meet Uber. I just met an Uber driver the other day. He's like, I drive two hours from south of Huntsville to Nashville to drive Uber because the Uber's better up here. I can't make a living doing Uber down where I live. I want you to think about that for a second. And as he's telling me that, I'm I became so grateful for all of my options because I realized like at the end of the day, I've always gone like this as an entrepreneur and I've done different stuff. I've always gone like, well, here's the thing I know about me. I'm always willing to drive Uber all night, right? I'm always willing to go like, well, I'm, I'm focused on my dream or I'm focused on this or, or it's not time to, I, I don't have any money. So I'll go drive Uber all night. You know what I mean? I'm always willing. And, and there's been periods like that where I've, where I've had to take no pay from a thing I was doing. Um, but the thing is that, oh, did you make me a card, Ollie? Yeah. What does it say? It says Link, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. Link, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. And is that the Hyrule symbol? No, that that's a Triforce. That's a Triforce. Yeah, that's what I meant. I meant Triforce. I forgot what it's called. That's a little Triforce. That's a big. That's a medium Triforce, and that's a big Triforce, and that's Link. And that's Link. Yeah. Dude, this is so good. Can I keep this one? Yeah. I'm gonna put make a little wall in my amp room. I'll show you where it is, and I'll hang all these. This is really good. And you legend, and you spelled all that stuff really well. Good job, man. Um. Dude, I mean, you know what I mean? How many of us living in major metropolitan areas, even if like we could just go do door down, like if it was like, hey, we're 300 short on the mortgage we're, or we're not going to be able to buy food next week. We'd just be like, oh, oh, hang on, hang on. And you would just sign up for a gig economy thing and you'd go work a night and you'd go earn 85 bucks that night and you'd be like, boom, this is groceries. You know what I mean? You'd be like, let's do it. Let's get in the car. Or, 
or how many wouldn't just like put something on eBay and sell it real quick because you got something of value, right? How many of us are just like, if we were short, don't have extra pedals that we would just unload or a guitar that's like, hey, I got three, only can play one. I got acoustic, number one, that one has to go or those two have to go or that amp is going. I can sell, I'll sell that amp for two grand. I'll get the HX stomp. I got to use HX stomp for 400 bucks. There we go. I'm using headphones. I can still serve at church. I can still do all that stuff and I'll go drive Uber tonight. Dude, like we got options, man. It's a, it's a, it's a brilliant thing, man. It's a brilliant, brilliant thing. And, um, anyway, but you know, people have their convictions, but you just got to do what's you, you know what I mean? I don't have a conviction to go fight animal cruelty. That doesn't mean I'm for animal cruelty. It just means, boom, but I got these things and I'm trying to help my church build their church, you know? We're building a church and this church has been a huge blessing to me when I was in a place in my life when I needed community the most, when I was totally uprooting my family and coming to a new place and I was had so much guilt about my son, about taking my son away from his friends and I was so worried, please, like, Lord, help us make some friends. I'll feel so guilty if my son has an empty birthday party. And he had all sorts of kids there. Kids from his church. Kids from the neighborhood. You know? Grateful for community. I want other people to find community. They're, and the churches, we've outgrown the building we made that they built. You know? Got 550 people showing up in a building that can't hold more any more than that. Every week. So... More people are coming. More people are coming. They're sitting in the hallways. Well, we're going to build a bigger church. And there's more kids, more kids, more kids. We're going to make it so that this half of the church that we're doing, that we have right now, where all the adults are, this is all going to be kids stuff. And you know what else I'm most proud of? And this is really what I feel passionately about. They have this thing called Kids Plus, and it's for handicapped kids who need a partner, whether that's kids with it's any kids with a, with a disability or, or with a, a learning disability, a learning challenge. And it's, um, um, it's straight up just like it's if you have autism or even a, a, or like my brother is blind in a wheelchair and everything, they would give you a buddy where it's like maybe you can participate in the class, maybe not. Or maybe you can participate in the class, but you're going to lose interest. Or maybe some weeks... You're going to be able to grasp what's going on in the class and there's games that they can adapt for you. And other weeks, it's just not, it's just not quite possible or you have to participate in a different way where things have to be changed for you, modified. Then, you know, they're doing that. That's the job. Let's, and for me growing up with a handicapped brother and it's like, and my mom, she could never take him to church. They never could accommodate him. And we went for my lifetime. And he could never go. Now he's, he's blind. He has uh, cerebral palsy. He has the uh, mental capacity of, you know, like a three or four year old. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. It's it's probably a little more advanced than that, but his speech is also very limited. But I did just I'm trying to give you a rough estimate. He, he understands a lot more. But, you know, they couldn't accommodate him. I don't blame them. He was in an extremely challenging situation. This wasn't like a kid 
with Down syndrome or a kid with autism who's just like needs a helper, who's like, you know, they need to be sort of treated differently or they need to be, um, uh, God, I hope that's not offensive. They need to be, you know, um, modified differently. What's up, man? You're crying? You hit your head? Where? On the railing? Let me see. Okay, it lo- it looks... There- I don't think you're going to have a bump. No bump. You all right? You're okay. Did it hurt? I'm sorry that happened to you. <laughs> Leo's calling you now. He's crazy, isn't he? He's kind of crazy in real life, isn't he? Your brother's... <laughs> He's kind of crazy. Why is he so crazy? He's always yelling, huh? Ollie! That's what he always says. Instead of coming to us. Yeah, instead of coming over here and just talking, he's always like, Ollie! Ah, bah, 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 bah. He's always yelling, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, every time we don't listen to him, he's like, Ollie! Come here! I'm dead! He's always so mad. <laughs> Why don't you go see what he wants? No. Okay. Uh, I'm going to finish this podcast, okay? Careful with that. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to the world. I'm talking to people who listen to this. I record this and then people listen to it. It's called a podcast. And you're making a podcast? Yeah, you know how I make those videos and people and they go on the internet and sometimes people watch them? Yeah. Well, this is where I record my voice and then people watch them or they listen to them. You know what I mean? So so, so when they listen to this, they'll hear me. Yeah, I'm not going to edit this out. They'll hear you. Do you want to say something? No. No? What's your favorite game? Legend of Zelda. Which one? Um, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Okay. Um, the unfortunate truth is we all find our children more uh, uh, entertaining and cute than everybody else does. So I'm, I've listened to other people's kids, so I'm aware how all this sounds to you. I mean, to me, it's fascinating, right? Listen to your own kids talk and seeing their mind work. But I know this is just a little kid voice on the podcast, but... Um, uh, dudes, anyway, um, I'm just rambling now. Uh, this has been episode 58. Um, do you, Mike Payne's about to be here and, uh, we're going to go, we're doing something new. It's called worship guitar tone. Stay tuned. You're going to love it. This has been episode 58. Thanks so much for listening. HW out.